you turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, this is our last message in this wildfire series. It's also our last message in the book of Acts for a little bit, because as I mentioned earlier, we're going to take a five or six week break here for our Grace Wins study, and then we'll return to our study of Acts later on this fall. But today in Acts chapter 8, we're going to read an amazing story about Philip, the Ethiopian eunuch riding in a chariot. Uh, The good news of Jesus does spread like wildfire. And today, in this story, it spreads all the way to Africa for the very first time. Now let's read the story. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you of Whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and, beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Father, we thank you this morning for your word that you have given to us. And Lord, we pray now that your Holy Spirit that has given us this word would open our eyes to see what it has to say to each of our lives this day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are several things that we can take away from this story and apply to our lives. But first, I want to just make sure that we hear the story itself and really take this story in. Uh, The story opens in verse 26 with a man named Philip being told by an angel to go down uh, south along a road in the middle of the desert. In our study of the book of Acts so far this year, we have seen that the gospel spreads like wildfire. We've also seen that even as the gospel and the word of God was growing and increasing, that opposition and persecution against the church was also growing as well. And it reached the point where uh, many of the early believers in Jerusalem, like this man Philip, were scattered from Jerusalem. And yet even that did not stop the growth and the progress of the gospel. 
Because everywhere that these believers went, they told people about Jesus. And we saw that at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, that Philip goes to Samaria and he tells the Samaritans about Jesus. And a revival breaks out. And God is doing amazing things. And yet here, Philip is told to leave that revival and to go out into the middle of the desert. Now we'll come back to that in a moment. But, but for now, it's just neat to see Philip's obedience. Because he doesn't ask questions, he just obeys. Verse 27 says, he arose and he went. When Philip gets to the desert, he sees a very prominent man coming down the road in a chariot. Look at the description in verse 27. It says, Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all of her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. So this man was a black African man from ancient Ethiopia. The Old Testament calls it the region of Cush. It was in the upper Nile region in what today would be modern day Sudan. And he was a high ranking official. We might call him today the secretary of the treasury or the minister of finance in the queen's cabinet. And apparently this man was a God fearer who had come to believe that the God of Israel was the one true God. And we know that because he's returning from a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship God. Now, because he was a eunuch, he would not have been allowed to enter the temple complex, but he could visit uh, that area. Uh, He also would not have been permitted to become a full proselyte to Judaism either, but that did not stop him from worshiping God as a God-fearer, and it didn't stop him from studying the scriptures either. Apparently on his way out of a town, the Ethiopian eunuch stopped off at the Jerusalem bookstore and picked up a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And since scrolls were copied by hand at that time, that would not have been an inexpensive purchase to make. And of course, it was not an accident that he picked up the scroll of Isaiah, nor was it an accident that he was reading from Isaiah 53 when Philip came along. God's hand is all over this story. God's spirit is bringing Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch together at just the right time. The spirit of God tells Philip to run up alongside of this chariot and Philip does that. He hears the man reading out loud from the scroll of Isaiah. Now uh, pretty much everybody read out loud in the ancient world so that wouldn't have been unusual but again what was unusual was what he was reading and Philip recognized the words of Isaiah the prophet immediately and uh, said to him, uh, do you understand what you're reading? The man said, well, how can I unless someone guides me? And basically he invites him to come up into the chariot and to explain to him uh, about the word of God. And we'll come back to this in a few minutes, but uh, this is about as open a door to share the gospel as you possibly can have, right? Jesus told us that we're supposed to be fishers of men, Uh, But this is a situation where the fish is literally jumping into the boat, right? That's what's happening here. And so uh, Philip says, yes, I can definitely do that. And so he gets up into the chariot. He begins to tell this man about uh, the Lord Jesus. Uh, This man asked him a question, a very good question. Was Isaiah the prophet speaking about himself when he wrote this, or was he speaking about someone else? That was something Jewish scholars had debated at that time. Uh, We don't know the rest of the conversation word for word, but... I can imagine that Philip said something like this. Isaiah was talking about someone else. And the someone else that he was talking about is named Jesus. 
And then he proceeded to tell him the story of Jesus. He proceeded to tell him about the cross where Jesus died for our sins. And then he told him about how Jesus rose from the dead on the third day and lives and is able to give us life and forgiveness. And somewhere on that chariot ride, the Spirit of God opened this eunuch's heart to the gospel. And he came to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and he put his faith in the Lord. And then they come upon a pool of water, another example of God's providence on display in this story. And the man says, hey, Philip, there's some water right there beside the road. What what keeps me from being baptized right now? Philip said, as long as you believe, nothing. So they stop the chariot. You can picture Philip and this Ethiopian unit climbing down out of the chariot in front of all the rest of the entourage, whoever else was there in that uh, caravan for this royal official. And they're sitting there watching this. As Philip and this man get into the water, he baptizes this man. This is the gospel. This is the glory of God on display in the middle of the desert. And then to make things even more interesting, as soon as this man comes up out of the water, the text says the Spirit of God whisked Philip away to someplace else. And so you can imagine if you were that man, right? You come up out of the water, you're excited about your baptism, you turn and you say, Philip, wasn't that awesome? Philip? Philip, right? He, he's gone. I mean, what, what a story this man had to tell Queen Candace when he made it back to Ethiopia. You know, in the past, when I have preached on this passage from Acts chapter 8, I mainly focused on the subject of baptism. Because this is one of the clearest passages in the Bible that teaches us the doctrine of believers' baptism. And I'll touch on baptism a little bit at the end, but uh, mainly today I want to come at this story from a different angle. Because while this is a story about baptism, it's mainly a story about the spread of the good news of Jesus. Now the good news of Jesus meets this man in the middle of the desert. And then church tradition tells us that this man became the first Christian missionary to take the gospel to the continent of Africa. You know, Acts chapter 1 told us that eventually the gospel would go to the ends of the earth. But little did we know that it would not be the apostles who would be the first ones to take the gospel to Africa, but rather it would start with this man, Philip, sharing with one man riding in a chariot in the desert who then would take the message back home to everybody else. And so with that in mind, what can we learn from this story about how the gospel can still spread like wildfire today? If we want to be used in the way that Philip was used in this story, there's a few things we need to be ready for. First off, church, we need to be ready to love all people. To love all people. You know, sharing about Jesus starts with having the heart of Jesus for other people. It starts with loving people the way God loves people. And and Philip loved all kinds of people. When we first met Philip back in Acts chapter 6, he was one of, of seven men that the church selected to take care of some widows who were being neglected in the distribution of the food. So the first people that we see Philip loving are elderly widows, and we see him loving them by ministering to them, serving them, and literally dropping off food at their houses. He loved elderly widows. And then in Acts chapter 8, we read about Philip who is loving the Samaritans. And we talked about how a revival was breaking out because he was telling them about Jesus. 
It's important to remember, though, that the Jews looked down upon the Samaritans. They viewed the Samaritans as half-breeds. The Jewish people at this time would literally walk around the region of Samaria because they did not want to walk through it because they thought that it would degrade them in some way for their shoes to step foot on Samaritan soil. That's how much they despise these people. Maybe you remember the story from John chapter 4. We're going to study this actually in a few weeks. When Jesus shocked everyone by not walking around Samaria, but instead by walking straight through it, And stopping at a well at noon and speaking with a woman there who had been married five times. And he loved that Samaritan woman and his grace changed her life. Apparently Philip had the same heart as the Lord. He went to Samaria and he didn't think twice about it. He loved them enough to tell them about Jesus. No matter what other people thought about him. And then in this story, Philip is breaking even more barriers, even more boundaries. Now he's sharing the gospel with a Gentile man, with a black man, with a eunuch who is considered so physically defiled that he was not even able to enter the temple, and yet he's sharing with him. I don't know if the Ethiopian eunuch had made it to Isaiah 56 yet in his reading of the scroll of Isaiah. Maybe he hadn't because he was in Isaiah 53 when Philip came up beside him. But if he kept reading a few chapters later, he would read about himself. Look at these words from Isaiah 56. God says, Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people, nor let the eunuch say, Here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, And choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. I love that. Here is the heart of God for people just like this Ethiopian eunuch. People that the rest of the world thinks of as worthless. Maybe that's how this eunuch thought about himself. Maybe he thought, you know, because of what's happened to me, because of who I am, I'm I'm always going to be on the outside. I never can get inside. I never can have a close relationship with God. I'm always going to be kept at arm's length. And yet, Isaiah said God was going to give this man an everlasting name, and he did. He made him a part of his family. And he did it through Philip. He did it through a man who didn't let any barrier or any boundaries stand in the way of him telling him about Jesus. Philip, in some ways, is like the opposite of Jonah in the Old Testament. You remember, Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to tell the Ninevites about the Lord. He didn't want to call them to repentance because, essentially, he was a racist and he wanted them to get what was coming to them. He thought that they all deserved it. Philip didn't have that kind of heart. He had the heart of Christ heart of love for all kinds of people. And church, if we want to see the gospel spread like wildfire today in Melbourne and Palm Bay and in the Space Coast, we need to have that same heart of love for all people. We need to love people regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of their background, regardless of how much money they make. We need to love people regardless of what they currently believe, whether they are Buddhist or Mormon or Muslim or whatever it may be, regardless of what sin or sinful lifestyle they may be trapped in, regardless of whether they treat us well or they don't treat us well. We're called to love even our enemies, to love all 
people. Number two, we also need to be ready to follow the Spirit of God. To follow the Spirit. When you read this story, it is hard to miss how the Spirit of God is directing everything that is happening. In verse 26, specifically, it's an angel of the Lord who comes to Philip and calls him to go down into the desert. Then uh, in verse uh, 29, it's the Spirit that prompts Philip to go up next to this chariot. At the end of the passage, it's the Spirit of God that takes Philip away to someplace else. The Spirit is leading all of this. And in Galatians chapter 5, All of us as Christians are told to keep in step with the Spirit. To follow His leadings, to follow His promptings. There's a couple things we need to keep in mind if we're going to follow the Spirit. First off, you can expect that the Spirit's promptings won't always make sense to you. You can expect that the Spirit's promptings won't always make sense to you. After all, this call to leave Samaria in the middle of a revival and to go out to the middle of the desert could hardly have made sense to Philip. Right? I mean, here he is. There are miracles are happening. Read the beginning of Acts chapter 8. Miracles are happening. The gospel is being preached. People are being saved left and right. And the only guy that was kind of standing in the way that we talked about last week, Simon the sorcerer, he had now been defeated and dealt with and put in his place. And so now Philip had every reason to, be- to believe that this revival was going to take off even more. And it's right then that God comes to him. And tells him to leave all that and to go out into the middle of the desert. Friend, has God ever called you to do something that did not make sense? Right? Has he ever uh, called you to do that? If he hasn't yet, he will. Has he ever called you to leave somewhere that you didn't want to leave or go someplace that you didn't want to go? Has he ever called you to leave one job, right, as things seem to be going really well, to go to something totally that you didn't know about, you don't know how it's going to turn out? Has he ever told you to talk to somebody about him? And you, you think, God, why, why should I talk to them? I know how that's going to turn out. Maybe I've even tried that before. It would have been so tempting, I think, for Philip to rationalize his disobedience. To say to God, God, this, I mean, what, I, I, I'm more needed here. I mean, this is where it's happening. This is where your spirit really seems to be on the move. Why would I go out in the middle of the desert? This is where I need to be. Or maybe to rationalize a, a, a delay, right? To say, well, God, it just doesn't seem like it's the right time. And maybe later when you raise up some leadership or something, then I can go out in the desert and do whatever you want me to do out there. And sometimes we're the same way, but he doesn't do any of that. The Bible says he went, he obeyed. And Christian, that's what God wants to see in us, a heart of faith and obedience, even when it doesn't make sense to us. And when we do that, when we follow the Spirit's promptings and the Spirit's leadings, when we do that, we get to experience some pretty amazing things, some divine opportunities that he puts in our path. Certainly, that's what this was for Philip. You you can't read this story without knowing this is a divine encounter. Right? God wanted to have this particular man, Philip, walking down this particular road in the desert at this particular time of day as this particular other man running this particular chariot comes by at exactly that moment. All of this is clearly arranged by God. I know sometimes it's hard to see an open door to share the gospel. We don't know what that necessarily looks like all the time. But when somebody shows up right next to you and starts reading the Bible out loud, that's an open door, right? There don't need to be any other flashes of light or, or alarms going off. That is the open door to tell them about the Lord. And these things don't only happen back in Bible days. They still happen today when we're sensitive 
to his spirit, here's what you can expect. You can expect to see some chariots riding by. We, we can have some chariot moments too. Some divine opportunities that come riding by and we don't want to miss them. I read a story this week about a Christian man named Ian Thomas who was traveling on an airplane, and, and like most of us, you, know, you get on an airplane and you're kind of tired and you just really want to rest and kind of be left alone. And as he was kind of settling into his seat, he hears behind him somebody say, Psst. and he turns around and figures out who it is, and it's a stranger, and the stranger says to him, excuse me, I'm reading in the Bible about Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and I don't understand it. Do you know anything about the Bible? that's an open door, right? Doors don't get any more open than that. That, That's a chariot riding by. And we need to be ready and not miss it. Maybe you hear that story or you read this story about Philip and the chariot and you think, well, why does nothing like that ever happens to me, right? Why why, why do I never have any opportunities like that to tell people about, about the Lord? Can I just suggest a couple possibilities? First off, is it possible Things like that seem like they never happen to you because you're not living like Philip was even before this. You're not living every day surrendered to the mission of God. Every day waking up and saying, God, where do you want to use me today? Where is that opportunity? Who do you want to share, me to share with about you today? Is it possible that God is sending some opportunities your way, that he is sending some chariots running down the street past your house, but you're not seeing them because right now you're so absorbed in your own life and your own stuff and your own priorities that you do not hear the wheels of the chariot when they ride by. I know sometimes I feel like I'm guilty of that. You know, another possibility could be this. This is harder to hear and to accept. But is it possible that God may not send you very many opportunities like that because he knows that you won't do anything about them anyway? Christian, let's resolve to follow the leading of the Spirit of God, to listen for his voice, to wake up every day and say, God, where do I hear the chariot? Where do you want me to share? Let's not miss those divine encounters. Here's the third thing we need to be ready for. We need to be ready to tell the story. Be ready to tell the story of Jesus. When when Philip had his chariot moment, he was prepared. He was ready to lead this Ethiopian eunuch to faith in the Lord. And we need to be ready also. Every Christian should be ready to lead someone to the Lord when that opportunity presents himself. Very quickly, here's just a few tips about telling the story that I think we can learn from Philip. First of all, uh, it's a good way to start is to start with a good question. Start with a good question. In, In verse 30, that's how Philip starts. He hears this man reading scripture and he starts with a question. He says, do you understand what you're reading? Now he doesn't launch in with a sermon right away, right? He doesn't jump up in the chariot himself and say, why don't you scoot over? Let me tell you everything because I'm the fount of all knowledge. That's not what he said. He says, very non-threatening question. Do you understand what you're reading? And because of the way the man responds, he, he ends up getting an invitation to come up into the chariot and to explain the Bible to him. And you know, things usually work out a lot better when we're invited. <laughs> when through the course of a conversation, we're invited 
to share because we've been listening. We've been asking questions. We don't only care about what we're sharing. We care about what we're hearing. I know we've been talking about boldness a lot lately because the apostles in the book of Acts were incredibly bold in the way they shared the gospel. But I hope we understand, church, that we can be bold and winsome at the same time. We can be bold and wise at the same time in the way that we approach people. We don't have to be bold and a bull in a china shop. There's a lot of good questions we can ask to get a spiritual conversation going. I know I was talking with Pastor Doug a week or two ago, and he was telling me that during this pandemic, uh, one of the ways that he's found uh, to approach people is just to ask them, how, how are you doing with everything that's going on with this pandemic? With all, all the craziness that's going on in our world, how are you doing? How are you, how are you handling all that? And right now, there's an open door there. People want to talk about that. They want to share about their perspective on the things that are going on, and you never know where that conversation will lead and how you might have the opportunity to share how it is that you're handling all this. How it is that you have a peace in the midst of everything that's happening. So start with a good question. Here's a second tip. Make sure that you talk about Jesus. Make sure you talk about Jesus. Look at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Of course, you can hardly find a better passage in the entire Old Testament than Isaiah 53, the one that this man providentially was reading at that moment, to talk about Jesus. But the Bible says he started with that verse, and then he went on from there to other scriptures, and he, quote, preached Jesus to him. I love that. But I want to ask you, when you have a chance to preach something to someone, what is it that you're preaching? Because when I look on, on social media, when I listen in even just to conversations that are happening around me, what I hear is a lot of people preaching about a lot of things, right? A lot of people preaching about how they feel about COVID-19. A lot of people preaching about whether college football should be played this fall or not. I had a lot of people preaching about whether kids should go to school in person or whether it would be better for them to learn online. A lot of people preaching about whether a Democrat or Republican should win the White House. There's a lot of preaching going on right now about a lot of things, almost like it's our goal in life to convert everyone to view things through our lens. But I, if I can get somebody to agree with me about any of those things, that's not going to save them. But if I can preach Jesus to someone, he can save them. And I know he can because he saved me. Church, let's agree that in this world of competing messages where everybody is so fired up right now about everything, that in the limited amount of time that we have to preach to people, let's preach to them about Jesus. Because Jesus saves. He saved this eunuch and he can save your waitress at lunch today. And he can save your coworker who works beside you every day. And he can save your neighbor. And he's the only one who can, and you know him. So preach about him. Number three, very quickly, let's remember, like Philip did, that baptism matters. Baptism matters. Baptism doesn't save, the water is not magical water, but it matters. And we don't have the whole conversation recorded for us here, but clearly, Philip talked about baptism at some point. 
Otherwise, the man wouldn't have said, well, here's some water. What keeps me from being baptized right now? This, this man wouldn't have asked about it. He wouldn't even have wanted to be baptized unless Philip had already explained to him why it matters. Philip might have told him about how the Lord Jesus himself was baptized as an example to us. He might have told him about what Jesus said, that we should all be baptized as his followers in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He might even have told him about what happened back in Acts chapter 2 when on one day 3,000 people got saved, put their faith in Jesus, and were immediately baptized as a statement to the world about their faith in him. And since this man had already come to believe in Jesus while he was riding along in that chariot, he wanted to be baptized too. He wanted everybody else riding with him in that caravan to know what Jesus had done in his life. Of course, one thing to notice is that the man believed in Jesus first, and then he got baptized. And by the way, that's always the order that you find it in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible do you find someone who is baptized first and then believes in Jesus. It's always in the order of Acts chapter 8. Someone believes in Christ, and then they're baptized as an outward sign of what God has already done inside their heart. If you're here today and maybe you've been baptized at some earlier point in your life, maybe as an infant or as a small child, and, and yet you've never really fully given your life over to the Lord Jesus. You never really asked him to save you and to forgive you and to make you new. That's really where the Christian life begins. It begins by receiving Jesus into your life, letting him change you and make you a new person, and then to take that first step of obedience, to follow him in baptism, to declare to the world, I'm not ashamed to be a follower of Jesus Christ.